0: This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? sequels suck.
1: Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's
0: all about money, boys!
1: Here we go again. Good soldiers follow orders. Good soldiers follow orders. Good soldiers follow orders.
0: Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series, one canceled animated TV season at a time. I'm your host Gabe Green, and as always, I am here with my co-pilot James Hamrick. And uh, how's your following orders coming?
1: Oh, well, I'm pretty depressed right now. What a what a heavy season to just end on. Uh, We get, I mean, yeah, we get some optimism from that last Yoda quote, but uh, for the most part, man, this season can be brutal
0: yeah i was kind of wondering like i've only watched the season once before so i was wondering like i did i didn't have all that many fond feelings towards six like i was like i remember liking it all but i don't it just doesn't you know stick with i don't have the same feelings about what I would have like season four or five and then watching this again I was like oh yeah it's because it's freaking dep- depressing beginning to end and even the light episode it has like soul sucking and all that crazy stuff going on it's it's pretty heavy uh, so today, obviously, we are talking about Star Wars, and we are in the final season of Star Wars, the Clone Wars uh, CGI animated series. Uh, so this was a half-released season known as The uh, the Lost Missions. It would have been season six, but uh, it was canceled. And uh, James, why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: So in 2013, uh, following the Disney buyout, uh, there was a lot of questions uh, people were having, whether, you know, surrounding the continuation of the series... Because it was, it was airing on Cartoon Network, which is a, a competing uh, network with Disney XD. And so people didn't know if it was going to get canceled or if maybe they were just going to move it over to Disney XD. But um, most think that just because of the nature of the show and how dark it was, this this season kind of being an example of that, it wasn't really anything in line with what they wanted on Disney XD. And it seemed Disney came with their own idea uh, their own ideas and direction for where they wanted to take the series now that they had shelled out four billion dollars for it um, and I think at least initially though they seem to be far more welcoming and inclusive of prequel era now uh, they were really starting to shift things more towards original trilogy and sequel trilogy um, and so they did end up announcing that they were canceling the series um, they, there was still, as you said before, there was still, you know, quite a bit of work put into season six. And so they ended up finishing about half the season and released it on Netflix as the um, as the Lost Missions, as you said. And their official statement uh, that they release is as follows. It said, as we enter into an exciting new era focused on the next Star Wars trilogy, Lucasfilm has decided to pursue a new direction in animated programming. We are exploring a whole new Star Wars series set in a time period previously untouched in Star Wars films or television programming. You can explore, uh, expect more details uh, in the months to come.
0: Yeah, that's total BS. Because,
1: <laughs> like, yeah, and th- then th- they
0: had, well, <laughs> well, the season six had been written in its entirety by 2011, and so like this thing was full, and they had they had a good you know, they had 13 episodes of the lost missions, which were pretty much as good as good, as good as a complete. And then they had like at least two arcs, which are fully, you know, a uh, voice and had the, the story reels uh, finalized. So they, they, they had plans for years to come. It wasn't, Oh, well, we decided it's time to wind down. It was, a, it was a business decision.
1: Yeah. Like I said, I, I don't think that everything in that statement to me seems like that's true from where they're coming from, you know, like, that they had ideas for additional seasons, but once this happened, everything kind of got shifted around and you know unfortunately, we weren't able to see what the the rest they had planned and they would they actually released a statement after that I'm not sure it helps either though um they said <laughs> after five highly successful and critically acclaimed seasons of Star Wars, the Clone Wars, we feel the time has come to wind down the series while the studio is no longer yet <laughs> we feel the time has come well uh. I think a lot of fans disagree, but that is me. Um, This is them again. While the studio is no longer producing new episodes for Cartoon Network, we're continuing production on new Clone Wars story arcs that promise to be some of the most thrilling adventures seen. Uh, Stay tuned for more information on where fans can soon find this bonus content, as they called it.
0: Which would have been the Lost Missions, I'm assuming?
1: Yes, yeah, that was what was announced. Um, And what's crazy is... uh, In some ways, this has kind of helped the Clone Wars only because of uh, the Lost Missions going to Netflix. And then, really, Netflix is now where a lot of people are introduced to the Clone Wars. Um, And I just found a a quote from uh, Netflix's VP of Content Acquisition that I thought was really cool. It just kind of says what they think of it. Um, he said the series really aged up over the years. It went to a darker place and didn't fit the Cartoon Network brand any longer. So it was a hidden gem that Disney brought to our attention, and we jumped all over it. And so Netflix has actually really, uh, really been benefited from, uh, from Disney, uh, bringing it over there.
0: Yeah, it's it's always great. We tell people it's all on Netflix, and you you can go there. The movies there, all five seasons, and then the uh, the up. Uh, previously i released lost missions were all uh put there as part of a deal so it is very convenient although it probably won't be there too much longer if disney actually gets their um their own streaming service off the ground yeah so that's kind of the story of why the series was canceled it's pretty unsatisfying it's just yeah the, a, a business decision they didn't want they didn't want competing companies and so they scrapped a Beautiful, ongoing story with some of the best Star Wars material of all time and they just threw it down the toilet. I,
1: but I'm not bitter. I've become <laughs> a little less bitter because, and I guess we'll talk more about this as we as we continue, but I'm not sure how much it would make sense just contextually to move too far beyond where this season ends because you kind of have to keep in mind that Between, there's only about a little over three year time gap between the end of Attack of the Clones and the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. Um, So I'm not really sure how much time is left, especially considering, you know, in this season we have Dooku referring to, you know, years ago on Geonosis. It's already, been, you know, it's it's been quite a while, so I don't think there was really room for too many more stories before we've got to, you know, capture the Chancellor and get a move with things.
0: Yeah, because like if they had had some heads up, the season five finale could have absolutely served as the finale for the show. You know, it starts with introducing Ahsoka in the first arc, ending with Ahsoka leaving the order. Like that's a great uh, series right there, and if it had kind of ended and no one was the wiser with season five, I, I think I, I wouldn't have any issues with that. But but knowing what we know about all these unproduced story arcs and having half a season and all these you know various ideas that we knew they, they wanted to tell. And obviously since the way uh, Filoni continued telling the story with Rebels shows that he still had a lot of stuff he, he had to get out of the system with these characters, like he wasn't done either. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that, that we have so much information available that makes it so hard.
1: Yeah, but all things considered, I think I think the way this at least the last arc, I'm I'm pretty satisfied with the way things are wrapped up here. You know, I'm I'm kind of ready to to pop in Revenge of the Sith by the time this ends.
0: All right. Uh, before we move into actually the main, main review proper, I want to ask you guys if you enjoy the show to please take a moment to go and rate and review us on iTunes, and uh, like us on Facebook. And I've been really bad about this, but I want to mention uh, someone who gave us a. A five-star review on itunes some guy named ryan A. Wall. i have no <laughs> idea who that is
1: uh he left us five stars so uh, thanks ryan maybe he'll come back on and tell us about a great movie yeah if,
0: uh, if we ever find out who he is all right so this <laughs> uh yeah all of four people will get that <laughs> um So uh, this this season is made up entirely of arc, and the the first arc is the Five's Conspiracy arc, and the first episode is the Unknown, directed by Bosco Ng, and this whole arc is written by Katie Lucas, her last uh, basically her last writing credit and last credit in Star Wars, which yeah, I wish we saw more from her. So this one after Tup murders. Jedi Master Tiplar. They attempt to send him back to Kamino, but the Separatists are also interested in Tup's action. Gosh, but the Separatists are also interested in Tup's action. So this one, we are in this really cool, basically a space station that that functions as a ring around a planet, and the um, the Separatists are on one end, and the Jedi on the other. They're, they're fighting. Um, in the streets, not the streets, but fighting their way through the station, trying to take the whole thing over, and we also it also marks the return of uh, Cyborg Trench, who we, we we saw base way back, yeah, Cat and Mouse, which is which which is the true uh, chronological um, premiere of the show, and he was, he was he was his ship was destroyed there, and we don't see him all the way back to the final season, but uh, here he is, he's leading the uh, separatist troops. And yeah, it's cool to see him again. He's got this these really crazy cyborg arms, and one of his uh, big giant mandibles is metal. And he's got one of the eyes. Yeah, a little worse of the wear,
1: but looking pretty cool still. What's really crazy about the beginning of this episode is that unfortunately, I kind of I knew the a lot about what was going to happen in this arc beforehand, just because I was so late in getting into the series. But you know, if you, if you don't, this starts off just. Like any other episode, where like, we're you know we've got the narration introducing us, what sounds like it could be the premise of an entire you know like this. This is about how we start off, yeah. And we're in a really cool battle. I like the way they use their shields. Uh, it, it's everything is. Oh yeah, that's something new. Yeah, and and it's it, it, it looks right in the universe. Still, it doesn't look silly or anything the way they use it. But it it feels like the beginning to you know any other episode. And then you know out of left field, Tup does what he does, and it completely changes it so like ev- the mission that we were on when we jumped in everything in the narration initially completely goes out the window, and people familiar with the series might like might then you know really really start to get an idea of of where we're about to go with with this arc
0: yeah and the the execution is so matter of fact like there's there are so many ways they could have like just stylized it. But it's just so matter of fact and brutal, um, and how it's done. It really shocks you. Yeah. So they they obviously the Jedi are very concerned because this <laughs> clone just shot a Jedi Master, and so they try to send it back to Kamino. But uh, Admiral Trench, who had holograms of it, uh, wanted to capture the um. Actually, no. Dooku wants Trench to capture the the uh, clone because he fears that Order sixty six <gasps> might be um getting revealed so they have this really crazy uh ambush where they these uh space droids jump out in front of the ships and like land on top of the x-wings and just execute the pilots (laughs) through the windshield and there's this crazy zero gravity battle i think it's is it done in one take
1: uh i think so because i think we kind of follow them i think we kind of follow them behind like as they jump out and then land on and we kind of go behind no, them and then...
0: No, I, I mean inside. The, we, oh. when they we, we go into the ship with the clones and all the red lights come on and they, they shut off the gravity so they're all floating out. Know, it's this really oh. creepy sequence as they go through and slowly kill all the clones and we kind of follow this one guy until uh, he's finally killed at the end. It's really just uh, effective um, and a disturbing sequence. And we got the dead blood- bodies just kind of floating around. Yeah, and it's this, all silent because it's in space.
1: And this is, you know, following what happened at the beginning. It's just just to talk really quick to go back a little bit about that scene um, where he actually assassinates uh, Tip Lee. Is it Tip Lee that gets killed?
0: Tip, Tip Lara is killed. I believe it's Tip Lara is killed.
1: Okay. But that scene is just it's so hard to watch because of Umbara. Because we got to see Tup and got to learn about him and he ended up being just a really cool character to me. And now, you know, now that we've seen what he was able to make it through, this is the way he goes out and that the, the initial scene of him, like just kind of chanting to himself and his eyes, like just completely going crazy, like left and right. And he looks like he's losing his mind in front of us. It's, it's almost unsettling to watch.
0: Dee Bradley Baker's uh vocal performance is really effective as well.
1: Yeah, really, really strong. It doesn't sound cheesy or anything. It, it sounds, like I said, unnerving, especially considering we know this character. And so I'm already just, like, bummed out by the beginning of this episode, and now, you know, we're trying to get him back to figure what's going on, and we have this other terrifying sequence of just seeing all of these people get killed off. It's, man, they're not pulling any punches.
0: And this, uh, the, uh, the animation in this final season, like we've been praising the animation, I, I, I think they stepped it up one, this time as well. I, I almost wonder if they they, they kind of knew this was going to be their last hurrah that they really went all out and making this animation look good because it, it is really gorgeous and they, the, just the movement, the facial animation, just the the settings, the sets, everything looks really good. Yeah.
1: Over the course of this arc, I mean, what they do with fives. Especially, you know, as he's pleading his case and he's like kind of losing it more and more as we go on. It's just, it's a phenomenal performance, and that, that's really what it is. It's a, it's a genuine performance with physically and and vocally. Um, I, I think I said it uh, on season four. You know, it may have been season five. Just you know, my my desire to be to just see this live action kind of goes away with every new season because I almost get to the point where I'm like. I'm getting everything I can get out of this just because of how good of a job they're doing. Yeah.
0: yeah, they were they really uh, did something special with this last season. Um so then the uh the Anakin and Fives and a couple others decide to go stage a rescue and Rex. And Rex uh, obviously Rex. Um to go stage a rescue um uh, of Fives, and there's this crazy shot of them like running on the outside of the space station and grappling onto the ship. And there's another really great single take action sequence and they break into the uh, they break into the the, the ship that's carrying fo- uh, Tup and this is a really cool action sequence so they go through and kill everybody yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's where it, this, this episode ends with them take uh, re- I mean taking back Tup.
1: Yeah, and, man during this whole arc I'm, I'm ready to just take humor and you know just really cool action whenever I can get it because of how heavy it is uh, I love whenever they they first get there and they're like going through their plan and and I think you know, a- Anakin's plan is just insane at first and Fives, you know, I have no doubt that you can get it done. I'm just not sure Rex and I will be able to see it through um, or when, whenever they first get their binoculars out. And I think it's Fives who has this huge set and Anakin pulls out these little ones. And it's like, oh, your scope's Jedi issued, sir. It's just you get the little bitty bits of banter between them and it goes a long way here.
0: Yeah. And you really see the loyalty between the clones as they're trying to do their best to get uh, top out of there and you know to get some medical attention to figure out what the heck's going on. Uh so they take it back to Camino and the next two episodes are them in Camino. And one one point I didn't really get is that they put fives in isolation because there's they suspect that Tup's malfunction might be due to a virus and that fives might be exposed, but why only fives? Because every other person around them has also been around Tup.
1: Well that never really made a lot of sense to me. So I don't think it it was so much that Fives may have gotten it because he was around Tup. I, I think they were wondering that the two both whatever got Tup may have gotten fives at the same time and he might be infected as well. It wasn't so much that it's contagious now as it was however Tup got it, fives may have got it in the same way. Hmm. Okay.
0: Um so what we have revealed here is that the Kaminoans were basically in on Order 66 from the beginning. They programmed it into the clones, knowing exactly what it was and what it did. And even though they were working side-by-side side with the Jedi for the entire war, they were fully on board with uh, Order 66 happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like this this sheds a whole lot of light. It, it's cr- Just because of how long it's been since I've, I've gone through this, it's over a year... Uh I forget about some of the stuff that was said. I mean, it really makes you look at Attack of the Clones in a completely different light. Because they seem yeah, I like
0: so- Lamasu, you bastard.
1: <laughs> I know, he was such a cool like he was he and tomway uh they were really cool characters and I, I I've always liked Lamasu. I think his just he seems so like soft spoken and kind. Um but not anymore. I I guess I gotta hate the guy, um, but, but yeah, it's weird and between between this and um, I, another, is it, it's it's the final Yoda arc where we get into more about Sifo-Dyas, we get a lot more to go off of when we're trying to put together the kind of mess of a plot that happens in Attack of the Clones. Um, One of the things that stuck out to me here is that I I don't know if it makes
0: it any better, but we do get more.
1: (laughs) Look at that. I, I think it does a fairly good job at salvaging what they had. I think I can mostly put put it together in my head, but yeah, it is it is crazy knowing that you know from the outset this this was known to all of the Kaminoans that we're we're biologically growing these like. Programmable tumors in all of our clones. It's it's really crazy.
0: Yeah, and so uh, now let see who's kind of the main cheminoin uh, in this episode. Just wants to kill Tup immediately so they can go go with their op- uh, autopsy. With their autopsy, <laughs> she's really only there. She's tr- to try and cover up what's going on. Yeah, so it, it, it does seem though like, like like fives is the only one who's really there for Tup. Like everyone else, kind of just like we got to figure out what's going on. And Tup's kind of expendable, sort of. So, yeah, he's kind of sneaking around into the room trying to do, like, emergency surgeries on top and doing the scans, trying to figure out what's going on. Eventually, they find a tumor in his brain, which he does a kind of a biopsy and gets it out. And that's where the whole chase starts because that, that the tumor is... What was it? The inhibitor chip is what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, so he finds it, and then basically, the next episode is him trying to sneak around to figure out what it is. And eventually he has to basically go on the run and, uh, he was, he was like scheduled, not for deactivation, but to have his mind wiped and be sent to as a janitor or something, which I don't know with the Jedi on board with that as well.
1: I'm not sure. Um, sometimes I wonder how much, you know, especially knowing that the Kaminoans are in on it and what they're like, clearly the clones are now like expendable to all of them if they know this so it almost calls into question how much happens there outside of the Jedi's knowledge you know if, if they're willing to go this far to, to talk about the droid initially I was a little put off by him um, I forget what scene he first actually starts getting dialogue in but I know it's kind of happening concurrently to a very serious and heavy one I'm like ugh, like we don't really need a comedic droid right now but I'm not going to lie, he really grows on me a lot over this arc. And I think it is because of just how depressing and just hopeless this arc continues to become. By the time he transforms
0: into a speeder, yeah, I, I pretty much love him.
1: <laughs> yeah, he he ends up being just a really delightful character. And uh, he has a line that I'm pretty positive is a callback. It's it's whenever he's, he's saying to... Um, two fives you know that he'll his memory will be wiped um and then this isn't the line but i love it whenever he's saying like maybe we can be friends again that is if we still remember each other after our memory is erased (laughs) but whenever fives escapes he pretty much quotes uh henry jones senior verbatim was like look what you did i cannot believe what you did which is exactly what he, <laughs> I did
0: like to I didn't catch that. Yeah.
1: Exactly what he says in last crusade after, uh, Indy takes the machine gun and shoots all the Nazis and frees them.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's uh, it's cool. Um, so eventually they are, uh, they are captured, but not after fives realizes that this chip has been implanted in all of the, uh, all of the clones. However, what was wrong with Tup was that his had somehow malfunctioned, uh, and de- decay, which co- which was, which would cause him to kill the jet Tiplar. So yeah, but now uh, C claims that it's just it was kind of in there to keep the clones from getting too aggressive. Which that's what's so hard about this episode because like every step of the way she has some kind of explanation that makes Fives look bad. You know, like well, it's just there to keep them from getting too aggressive. As you can see from this clone here, because he's going crazy.
1: Uh, and of course, the one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is you know Im- immediately following. Taking out Tup's chip, he actually does die. Um,
0: oh yes, yes, that
1: happens. And so, first of all, that's that's hard enough to watch. If, if seeing him go crazy and kill one of the Jedi isn't isn't already tough, he, he then just dies, and he has that line where you know he's just talking about the nightmare, the never ending nightmare being over, and him finally being free. Um, and one thing, real quick, before before um Fives is taken to Coruscant, this seems to be one of the few times it ever seems like Palpatine is kind of nervous.
0: Oh, yeah. This is his grand plan, and it's pretty close to being laid bare.
1: Yeah, he's he's ad- always used to adapting to everything, you know, because this is a three-year war, and we've seen him do so much, and it, you can't think that every single thing that happens is, you know, plan A. But every time something new happens – He finds some way to fold it into his overarching plan, but here, you know, when he's talking to Dooku over uh, the hologram, he's scared, and he's like, uh, he's like, we have to find a way to cover this up, or else, uh, I think he even says, my plan is ruined. Um, and then whenever Shot T is talking to him through the hologram and, and she says we should send it to the Republic, he kind of says, like, what, what, what if what if we sent it to uh, the, the Republic medical station? Like, it seems like he's you can see like a shift in his eyes and his eyes are raised and almost looks like, you know, he's he's scrambling to to get, you know, things things going his way and get the ball back in his court. But it's interesting to see him really have to play on the fly and and look a little bit nervous as things happen
0: on the way on the way to coruscant Analysis injects him with something i'm not sure what what it is it's just kind of i guess it just kind of makes him babbling and incoherent and so the palpatine agrees to talk alone with fives and the jedi are sent out of the room and i like that we don't even see what happens um it's it's like it really heightens the, the paranoia of everything like we, we leave with base uh, window and the jedi and then, and then we hear a commotion we run back in and uh fives has a gun all the uh, clones are knocked down we're like we just don't even know what happened and palpatine's claiming oh no you know he, he tried to attack me um then fives escapes and yeah so it, even though we obviously know what happened we, we we completely understand the jedi's perspective in thinking he's gone crazy and we're just it, the whole this whole episode is is just so you know paranoid it feels a lot like um uh, well, the previous arc, the Last Jedi arc.
1: Yeah, it's so hard to see characters we love. Like, like you, one of the things you said earlier, where the the antagonists always have an answer that kind of makes sense, and not only that, it it just casts further doubt over everything that Fives is saying. Uh, one of the also one of the things, like I guess it's, I get a bit of a lore addition. One of the reasons why the clones in the series end up being so free thinking is, uh, and maybe it's even something the Kaminoans overlook, but, um, what's her name again? The, uh, the Kaminoan who Nala, Nala C? C? Yeah. Uh, where she says the, the clones being around the Jedi for, uh, for so long has kind of inspired, uh, creative thinking that wasn't really anticipated. Um, and then she uses that to kind of justify the reason for uh for these inhibitor chips.
0: Yeah. Um. So he escapes, and then he um goes to the uh, a clone bar, and uh, he rips off a cab driver, which really annoyed me. But <laughs> he, he and he sets up a meeting with Anakin and Rex. Um, and when, we, when he finally meets him, we see that it, the clones simply were not built for conspiracies. Just everything about them is based on trust. Yet you know, they're created in a lab, and they're told, they're, and they're literally programmed, and they're told, "There's a war over there. Go fight it for us." So they they really have to trust and believe that they are on the right side, that they're fighting for for good, and that they, you know, what they're what they're doing is for the good of the galaxy. And you know, obviously, they they are programmed to obey every order from their leaders. So if you take that away and you you tell them that everything you'll know, Basically, back back to your programming of some kind of conspiracy that is actually going against everything you've been programmed to believe and taught to believe and fought for all these years. <laughs> That'll mess a guy up. And so, once he meets with Rex and and uh, Anakin, he's kind of babbling and he just doesn't you know. He can't. He can't even just process the the magnitude of of you know the of how his uh life is being turned upside down it's really sad uh to watch as he's you know just trying to communicate with them and obviously both of them are like dude you're crazy just shut up and we'll we'll take you to get some help and, and then eventually the um the other police colognes break in and end up shooting him. It's just so, so sad. Because fives fives is the guy back on Umbara who kind of led the rebellion against Krell when Rex was kind of tied up in protocol. He's the one who inspired everyone else to, to resist him. You know, when he was, had his back to the wall and was going to be shot. He's the one who, you know, told the clones to think for themselves and to not be the slaves that Krell thinks he is. That's fives. he's been around since way back with the, uh, uh, rookie uh, clone cadets and rookies. Yeah. So he's been with us this entire season. And aside from Rex, he's the one who's gotten the most characterization of all the clones. And to see him be reduced to this kind of shell, this haunted, paranoid shell before being gunned down is so bad, so sad.
1: Yeah, this recent viewing really did make him into my favorite clone Uh, by the end of this, I feel like I can confidently say. He just, especially everything he did in the Ubaran arc, whenever, you know, he's not even really pleading for his own life during the execution scene. He's just, he's saying, we are people he even has has a a similar line um in this arc in one of the episodes when he's yelling at nala and he's like i'm not a piece of hardware i am a living being Uh, it seems like he has more respect for the notion of them being living beings and individuals with like a certain semblance of autonomy um and he yeah, had to, to have his final moments. And I think part of it is due to whatever the injection was that Nalasi gave. And that, that almost makes it even harder because you almost wonder what's going on in his head. Where he's like, he's trying, he knows everything. And he even he points to his head like, everything is in my head. Like, he knows everything. But he can't get out a, a full coherent thought. Because, of, like you said, the magnitude of what he's discovered, whatever he, that's been injected... And sort of stand there in front of the two most trusted individuals he has and not really be able to fully explain himself. It's it's really, really sad. And beyond just the
0: character, this information would have saved the prequels. It would have brought down uh Sidious and the Jedi Order wouldn't have fallen. We wouldn't have had the entire rise of the Empire, the entire conflict of the original series, original trilogy wouldn't have uh had to have happened. And- now, when you watch Order 66 and cry, it's all the harder knowing that it came this close to being stopped. Yeah. And
1: man, that, that death scene when he's shot and Anakin orders the shield down and the sad music plays and Rex is just trying to keep Fives with him. And they just stretch it out for like a minute long of just lying down there with him. I I actually did shed a couple of tears watching it this time, just because of how much he grew on me and how much I care about these characters. And you have the the shot of the other like the police clones realizing the you know just the gravity of what just happened. You know they they're shooting one of their own that they they even take off their helmets and just kind of stare at him. It's so so tough to watch. The only thing I wrote down about that ending is just. This physically hurts me. Like I, I can't even bear to watch anymore. But
0: the crazy thing is, you don't even blame them for shooting him. Like he drew a gun on them, and they, they like they were, they were yelling, "You know, don't do it, don't do it," and they didn't fire until he pointed the gun at them. It's, it's like you can't even blame them. There's no bad guy in the situation.
1: It's, uh, it's rough, and then we, we don't get any sort of silver lining by the end. In fact, we get the opposite of the silver lining, and we go, we cut to Sidious giving Dooku, or not, um, I guess it's, now let's say giving Dooku the, uh, the inhibitor chips, and then him talking to Sidious and saying, okay, all right, we covered everything up, and Order 66, they even name it, you know, Order 66 is good to go, and this whole arc ends with the villains cackling, like, they're, they're just in a state of gleeful laughter by the end of this, of this episode, and I, oh man, it's. That That's part of why I do think, you know, despite it being so unfortunate that only half a season was aired, you know, this is really where I do think it, it needed to start kind of winding down because, you know, most of the chips are now on the table and they're really setting things up for, for where we know it's going to go.
0: Like not a lot of plot progression happens here. You know, we find it, we find out about the conspiracy and the person who fi- discovered it is silenced, uh, but it's still a really powerful arc. So next episode is the Clovis arc. It begins with an old friend directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. And this arc is written by Christian Taylor. Padme is sent to Scipio on a, um, which is the planet of the banking clan on a diplomatic mission. And she's approached by Clovis who asks her to help him uncover uh, evidence of corruption within the banking clan. So he can take over himself. And I like the, the planet is kind of these, these really snowy mountains, obviously a, uh, modeled after the swiss alps which is you know they're famous for their for their banks and neutrality
1: yeah visually it looks pretty cool and it finds a, a it's find a way to like set itself apart from all the other snowy planets we've seen by this point
0: point. and i really like the design of the bank and they have this really crazy vault and these huge uh really awesome elaborate doors and whatnot
1: and their meeting room where you can physically see into like the box room that everyone's sitting in but then they have like the screen of like their face above. And so you can like, you can physically see where everybody is, but then it's kind of just, you know, like a, like a, a sporting event theater where, you know, you've got the bigger mm-hmm. TVs above. Um, it's a cool take on that. You know, the design we've seen a lot of like the one person in the middle kind of looking up at everyone else.
0: Yeah. And so there are a lot of things I like about this, but there are a couple of things that really annoy me. Like, first off, I was really happy with the way that I, Padme treats Clovis when he first comes back. Like last time we saw him, he was working with the Separatist uh, in, in, in building a new uh, droid factory. So she basically, for the first half of this episode, she's constantly just shutting him down. She won't even talk to him. He's like, you're a traitor. Go away. I, I, I'm not even going to acknowledge your existence. Um, and that goes on for a while until she's, I think she's ordered by the, she's ordered by Palpatine to help uh, because Clovis has come up with a plan. He realizes there's corruption Within the banking clan, they're on the verge of bankruptcy and they're hiding it. Um, and since the republic is so deep in debt, and they, they, they're obviously they need assurances that's going to continue, and they need they they obviously need more funding for the war. So they're going to try and get him uh, put Clovis. If they um, so if Clovis can find proof of the uh, the corruption, they can get the you know, the ruling council fired and have him put in their place to try and uh, bring the banking clan up to snuff. So they, 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 they assign Padme to work with him in, in the investigation. And then it's, it's crazy. Like after they assign her to work with him, it's like all doubts vanish. And and now she's kind of going back to that kind of flirty role. She she was with him back in a, what was Clovis's uh, episode?
1: Oh man. What was that called? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I
0: don't know. Yeah. And it's like, she tells him like, no, our relationship is strictly business. And then like the very the next scene they're like eating dinner together and she's got this super sexy dress on. Back back to
1: the attack of the clones attire.
0: Yeah, so she's she's like she's supposedly trying to keep him at a distance and saying she doesn't trust him, but she keeps putting herself in really compromising situations with him and she acts like she's completely oblivious to how he's he's constantly putting the moves on her. Uh, it's just it's kind of annoying just how how naive she acts uh throughout these this episode.
1: Yeah. Like you said, it's. I think it's made all the more jarring just because we. It was immediately preceded by a very realistic take where I love. She doesn't even lock eyes with him at first. Uh, as soon as she notices it's him, she just points backwards and she's like, "This man right here is a known traitor," and it's just nothing to do with him. Um, it, I would have liked to have seen you know a more reluctant return, and then maybe have her grow back into where she was with him before without her even realizing it but it just seems like very jarring like okay we're friends again maybe more i don't know haha <laughs> like it just i don't know it it seems very very weird and the dynamic between the two almost immediately goes back to where they were before uh, but the the thing that annoyed me the most even more so than that was i i understand that Anakin acts brashly and you know anger is a defining trait of his but I, I feel like you have – there there must be a certain amount of subtlety ar- around the relationship between you two. And you have to be a complete idiot to not just be able to say in full conference, like, yeah, there's a thing between them. Where he's just like – what he only beat him up when he tried to kiss her. I mean, what does that mean? Eh, that's true. I, I mean, any of us would do that. But it's – it, it does just feel like even – You know, before that, just how, like, like whenever the door opens and he's like, uh, he has Padme in his custody now, and he's like, you know, come on, before I change my mind. Like, he's just, yeah, he is this Jedi Knight yelling that at a senator in front of like the clone escorts, like everyone's watching (laughs) him have this huge like childish outburst, where like he's, I mean, he's all but saying, you know, why he's so opposed to all of this and it's i don't know to me yes i understand that you have to have him act out emotionally because that's just kind of the character he is but it got a bit much throughout this arc where i'm like nobody like everybody keeps saying it a little bit you know you have clovis being like oh you know so there there's something between you two and and obi-wan brings it up too but at this point it's like okay we're no longer even like you know you need to watch your feelings for Padme where everyone should just be completely up to speed on <laughs> on the extent of their relationship.
0: Yeah and he's a total child in this episode. Like even before he tries to kill Clovis, he spends the entire time just bickering with him and sniping at him and and then obviously when he when he catches him almost kissing Padme, he just goes crazy and the fight, the fight itself is actually pretty cool and brutal, but it's so ridiculous. Just, I mean, he, the guy has been a commander on the battlefield for years. He, he's obviously had to learn some kind of self control and, and you know, people skills, but it's just all that goes out the window. He, he's just a child, and it, it doesn't fit with who we know he's become. This, this is Attack of the Clones Anakin yeah. again.
1: The, the only thing that I think helps redeem it a little bit is. I do love that this puts a a very real strain on their relationship um <laughs> think. Uh, a little bit of one you know every every couple has its problems, but what's crazy you know this it doesn't really feel like it ever fully resolves bef- like in this season, which means we never really see it resolve fully even going into Attack the Clones. And, you know, their first scene, or um, in Revenge of the Sith, and, you know, their first scene whenever she's there to tell them about the child, like, they almost seem like they're they're kind of worn out by all of the hoops they're having to jump through to, to maintain this relationship. And I think watching this immediately before Revenge of the Sith really enriches the, the troubled relationship that we see for a lot of Revenge of the Sith.
0: And they, like, fully break up almost. Yeah. And, like, she initiates a separation. like, dude, you, you're absolutely crazy. You need to get out of here for a it, while. That,
1: that's... I, I love that, you know, it's... He has this... Like you said, he almost kills Clovis pretty much. He's... he's you know, Especially when you think about the fact that one of his hands is metal, which they they point out to in that one where their fist hit, which I thought was really cool. Um, but it's not like... After he apologize, it's like, it's fine. I just need to know you're not going to do that again. Like, we feel the weight and the consequence of that, you know, as as he's sitting out there by his, his speeder on the balcony, just looking down. He's in this state of depression. And, and as he's trying to apologize, it's just like, you know, there's nothing really to be said right now. And like I said, you know, they kind of come back together, but it still feels like even in episode three, we kind of feel the shadow of everything that's been going on around the two over that whole movie.
0: So they, uh, so they do expose the corruption on the way uh, Padme's uh, handmaiden in Takla is killed. Um, it was kind of weird the way they killed her kind of almost like off screen. And then, then they pretty much never acknowledged her after that. Cause, Cause she was the one who inspired that really important speech Padme gives back in Pursuit of Peace kind of, Pointing the government back to the to the to the good of the people, uh, I just felt a little weird. And then there's this crazy chase down the mountain where Embo's on his sh- like he's surfing on his shield, which is just amazing. Yeah,
1: regardless of Embo's purpose and like the weirdness around that, that scene is amazing.
0: Yeah, so he chased them down the mountain, and then we learned that he wasn't actually trying to kill them. He's just there to, uh, I guess, to remind to make to make sure that the Republic knows that something is up to hammer home the point that they need to intervene on Scipio.
1: And that shot of the ship flying away and Embo standing on the cliff face with this dog, like that's a poster. It's just the coloring and like the composition. It looks so good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they, 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 they discover the corruption and um, they put Clovis in charge. But as soon as Clovis is put in charge of the baking clan, Dooku comes in to. Oh, did you, you you know that the banking clan has been uh, taking it easy on the separatist loans all this time? So if if I tell the Republic that, they're going to come in and take over the bank. So now you're going to have to up their loans and take off take out our interest. I don't I don't know what Clovis's plan was here. As soon as he's put in charge, he makes all these at at Dooku's request makes all these moves against the Republic's finances, which obviously isn't going to make them happy. And he also allows the droid occupation, which obviously is going to instantly bring a republic invasion. Like, what did he plan to do there? Why didn't he run to the republic and try to? Like, there, there was no situation. There was no way. Like, he was obviously desperately trying to placate Duku and 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 you know, to to follow along with the blackmailing that Duku was doing. But I, I don't what, like. What situation did he think he could have where he would be able to get out of this unscathed?
1: I don't. I guess. To me, it almost felt a little similar. Like, the situation itself, maybe not so much, but uh, maybe a little bit reminiscent of, like, Lando in Star Strikes Back, where it's... You're kind of making what you see as the best deal and, and are really naive about, you know, how it's going to end up. Like, you almost think Lan- Lando seems very surprised that uh, this deal is getting worse and worse by the minute. Um... And that's what it felt like here, like just a lot of naivety on uh, Clovis's part about what his purpose and all this really is going to be.
0: Mm. Like, I understand he wanted to do whatever it took to maintain control of the Bacon Clan, and I guess he was just like, "I'm going to play it by ear and just kind of ride it all the way down." But I guess if if he was more flexible, he could have run and you know gotten the and you know pled his case to the Republic. But I guess he just he just wanted to maintain control as long as possible. And that, so yeah, the, uh, the, the separatists move an army there and occupy Mjolnist. And so the Republican is like, Oh no, we can't have that. So they send an army in and there's a battle and there's this crazy elaborate thing happens. And Clovis and Padme are hanging off the edge with Anakin holding onto them. And Clovis sacrifices his life. So Padme can be saved and he dies. And it's, it's actually kind of sad. Even though he was kind of a sleaze and a douche and kind of a jerk the whole way through, I still feel a little sorry for just how everything was conspiring against him in this final episode.
1: Yeah, I I think there's... You can see the glimmer of him trying to do, like, the least amount of damage as he can. He,
0: he wants he wants to be a good banker.
1: Yeah. Like, there...
0: He wants to try and re- revive the honor of the banking Clan kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and so he the way he's going at it with Anakin and really agging him on in a lot of ways he's still the guy we knew before but then you you do have that line where he's like uh had it not been for the general here i think to an extent he he really has grown quite a bit and he's far more not altruistic just um i get i'm losing the word i'm looking for but it it seems as if they're making him into more, much more of a tragic character here um, than he would have been before. Yeah, he's he's
0: not as horrible as he was in um in the original Clovis
1: episode. Yeah, and although I do, even though I think the scene he dies in is is pretty well done, could Anakin not have just like used the Force?
0: Uh, I think we for, were supposed to forget
1: about the Force. That's the thing. Like it almost. As much as I really thought Steela's death was done well, too, in the, um, in, oh, I'm forgetting the name of that arc. But in, in that one, when she dies at the end, it feels like she saved, um, I forget who was hanging off the, oh, it was, um, Lux. She, like, pulls him up super quickly with the Force, and then whenever it's Steela's turn, she's, like, struggling, and it takes, like, three times the amount of length of time, just long enough for her to get, a her to get shot so uh, and here you know he's not even using the force at all and you know once once um clovis lets go there like there's no way he could have just caught him with the force or th- it, so it within the context of star wars i don't i don't think it works out super well but, but tonally i think it's a really good scene
0: yeah it's actually uh, ripping off the ending of the uh macaulay culkin elijah wood film the good son Back from like the 90s or something which all of four people have seen
1: well i wasn't one of those four <laughs> so spoilers
0: yeah so yeah uh with with clovis dead the republic completely takes over and they they uh, place the banks in the ever trustworthy hands of palpatine <laughs> i'm sure all this was just one elaborate accident no no one planned it
1: Man, that's what's so crazy like it's, it's so cool about this show is, you know, Palpatine's plan just confined within the films is amazing, um, following it from point to point. But you get even, like, so many more layers here. You, you know, you see how he takes out certain individuals and how he turns the public opinion on the Jedi. And now how he, like, gained control of the entire banking clan. And I, I love You know the dialogue he has here, which is so reminiscent of the dialogue in the films, where he's like, "It is with great humility that I take on this." He's like saying all the right things, and he has just (laughs) the right demeanor.
0: I love democracy. I
1: love the republic. It's but the how many more layers the show adds to his plan is just—it's so cool to see. And it also just says, you know, like how how dark and hopeless the war is and the, and the series is at this point where you know early on you know we're rooting for the republic this whole time and now six seasons in the fact that the republic is gaining control of the banking clan like this is a bad thing like we're we're to the point where palpatine's plan is so far along that it is it is not a good thing whenever these kind of republic victories happen
0: yeah republic victory is a loss for good in the galaxy that's that's why this that's why this this uh this uh season is so depressing, man. And next arc is the Disappeared. Uh, the first one is directed by Stuart Lee, and this arc is written by Jonathan W. Winsler. In this one, Mace Windu and Jar Jar Binks travel to Bardada to assist Queen Julia as the planet's leaders begin disappearing. And as you can see, we have Jar Jar. Yay. Um. However, I will say that. This is probably the best Charizard we've gotten. Like, you know, in season four, we're talking about how he had massively improved to where he wasn't a plague on the planet, and he actually kind of did some helpful things occasionally. And you know, he has a like one or two clumsy moments, but pretty much for the entirety of this episode, he's either helping or at least not getting in the way. Which, yes, yeah, it's, it's like it's cruel and like he like towards the end he's actually in there throwing punches and he even picks up this gigantic gun and starts blowing away robots for at one time it is so he actually like i i still think he's a misguided character but it is the best version of jar jar pretty much that we could ever hope to have
1: yeah you know i can't really be i I was very upset at the beginning because i completely forgot that jar jar was in this um and and my being upset felt all the more justified when we were forced to watch him making out with another alien, which I never needed oh, to you see. Bigot. <laughs> it was just horrible. <laughs> um, but I, 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 agree. Like this is the best version of, of what this character is, and I, I got to the point where like I didn't really mind him anymore because I, I'm not even really, I, I don't even really hate his character all the time like when used right i I, I mean I, I've said it so many times over the course of this series that I, I hate it when people are in like unjustly rewarded for just like being cowards which is a lot of the way he was used but I also like moments like when he's with them in the uh, whatever you call it the the underwater ships and he's just freaking out like sometimes he's just kind of hey, this <laughs> he's just kind of this funny background character not all the time it doesn't always work the scene with the pod and the numb tongue is just horrible oh maxi big the farce i like i kind of like that we get to hear that again um but yeah all that to say is here it's like we maintain his personality because i think it would have been wrong to just have him be a completely different character but uh so they they maintain his pers- his general personality, but they make him useful, and they they keep him from just tripping over everything and getting in the way, and and any victory he has, it's mostly earned. Yeah, it's not that bad.
0: Yeah, and they, they put him with together with Mace Windu, which is a really odd pairing considering Mace is you know so humorless and no nonsense. So yeah, they go to uh, uh These are the Dagoya people, and she doesn't. Well, interesting thing about these people is that they really hate the Jedi. Essentially, they accuse the Jedi when they come and took the the Force-sensitive children. They accuse the Jedi of kidnapping, which I don't really necessarily disagree with. I mean, when you're taking a child too young to make a choice and then raising them in your cult, you're not exactly. I mean, that, what else is it?
1: Yeah, they don't really ever try to. Uh, Answer fully that question about what was really happening, they just say like, yeah, they were accusing us of that, and that's it you know and and the uh, the aliens still I, f- I forget what the race is called what are they dagoya deya it seems like you know they are still very cemented in, in their stance on things after all this time, so maybe there's a little bit of credibility to that
0: yeah, so it's, it's interesting that there are very force sensitive people. They they have they have a, so like a different connection to the force than the Jedi have. They talk about, they're, they're highly pacif- pacifistic. Um, see, so, yeah, they, uh, so uh, the leaders are disappearing, and then the queen gets disappeared, and we go on this chase through uh, the um the tunnels underneath the city, and we as you as you texted to me earlier, we run into uh, the temple of doom, <laughs> underneath the city, and there's a. Uh, the uh this gigantic contraption that sucks the living force out of people and is pretty (laughs) disturbing
1: yeah i you know it's kind of fun to see lucas just like very much replicating himself like i can only imagine him and the storm like oh i remember when me and steve did this like it's i'm sure he's having a lot of fun bringing all of that visual style to to this episode
0: yeah so there's that and then there's a you know, elaborate Indiana Jones battle and they fight and they're freed and they win. But the uh, bad guys escape with, uh, with Julia again.
1: Let's just uh, go back. This isn't like really important or anything, but did Mace Windu seem a little bit like just not incompetent, but making a really weird decision. I, I guess the moment that stands out to me is whenever Jar Jar is like alone with the queen and Mace like, distracts the guards for all of 30 seconds and bursts in with very little plan really and only like gives the queen even more reason to like distrust the jedi because the guards come and they're like yeah yeah he fooled us to just break in here
0: i th- I think what they were trying to say is that mace windu is us and he also distrusts and hates jar jar and that he should be so judgmental and he should trust him again
1: i don't know well it, to me, it just felt like Mace was way too smart to do, like, a lot of what he was doing in this episode. And, you know, he he gets kicked out. And not now not only does he cause, like, would he, realistically would he give the Queen cause to only further distrust the Jedi. But now, you know, even when she's alone with Jar Jar, there's the chance of him breaking in. And, like, very openly, like, trying to use the Force to, you know to have the, the guards leave. And it it just felt a bit weird considering the result of that was like, he got to kick in the door for all of five seconds before the guards were like, Oh, we're back.
0: Yeah. Next episode, uh, they go to a, the, uh, the Fangrawl cult, which is what they're called. They go to, uh, this desert planet, um, that has Mongolians for some reason. And we had this really fun kind of running chase slash fight through the city as, you know, is running ahead. Then Jar Jar will get in trouble. Then he'll come back, double back. It's just this long, kind of rigmarole as he's going through the city, taking out the cultists. Um, and there's a couple of really cool scenes, like where Mace Windu's is busy fighting the Gundarks, and Jar Jar comes in there and like socks the uh, the, uh, the 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 Mongolian guy, and then he actually takes him down. It's like, whoa, I was not expecting that.
1: Yeah, like we said earlier, Jar Jar is actually active in a in a positive way here
0: and so we find we finally come they they ride out into the desert and we come to this this uh i don't know how would you describe it? it's this altar or whatever this kind of temple thing that has these lenses lined up and once the planet's align, they're gonna suck the soul out of uh julian and use all the living force they've obtained to raise the great mother who is dun 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 mother talzin so apparently she's been running a cult on her on the side. That's <laughs>
1: just <laughs> so like what while one she's does leading the
0: Death witches, she's also like appearing to this other group and turning them into her cult.
1: Yeah, it almost makes you wonder if that's where some of her power comes from. Um she's kind of using this side thing to to fund her real her real thing going on over here.
0: Yeah, so she like she actually was something happened to her when Grievous tried to kill her. I guess she doesn't have a body. But also one really interesting thing was is we're, we're given a more complete explanation of that the death of Marian witches like it was interesting like they talk about how the magic isn't the force but what what they use the magic is to try like they're, they're not force sensitive so they have to use the magic to connect with the force. I like, guess is what I got is that right I
1: I'm not sure it, it to me it almost seemed like this is just a different way of using the force. Like it's just a different side of the force that we just know little about, but but she like
0: it seems that like she doesn't actually have any natural connection to the force because she wants she wants uh, Julia's and, and uh, on the the other Degoian uh, force sensitive she wants their their force energy to essentially co opt. That the ability to connect with the force for herself, so she'll not only have her magic, which is incredibly powerful, but she'll also have now have this force sensitivity, which will you know like double her powers. So it seems to be something distinctly different about it.
1: To me, it almost seemed like just because of the like the living force being sucked out, like you had that greenish mist. To me, it looked like this is just kind of always how she'd been getting her abilities, because this whole prophecy about the mother, like. This seems to have gone back for quite a while. And so she's been involved here for a bit. So it just seemed like, you know, everybody that's, I guess, has been sacrificed, all of that green force, like the living force that's coming from them, just kind of goes immediately to her. And so to me, it just looked like the same thing that she's always been using. It's just that that force is going to be, you know, if that green thing is the living force, then the living force from... The these aliens who are extra force sensitive is going to be much more powerful than like the green living force from you know any Joe off the street
0: yeah Um. so then they come in and we have the Jedi and the Gungan they come in and save the day and once again Jar Jar is awesome they fight these giant stone guardians and he gets a uh, bang boom gun and <laughs> just starts blowing people away uh, and then the Mother Tosa forces this sword of green magic and she fights sword fights with Maze window which is awesome and uh, then they, they destroy the they destroy the orb and she kind of vanishes in the wind
1: So did you take that as her death
0: uh we're not supposed to take it as her death because she may or may not come back
1: okay never mind I,
0: I think she she simply returned to the state of being she'd, she'd had ever since uh, the the witches were destroyed. This okay. kind of in between state she's been in.
1: Okay.
0: And so then they ride off into the sunset. It's very Indiana Jones mm-hmm. ending. Yeah. Like this whole episode, it's it's super mystical, but not in a like a Star Wars mysticism, more in a kind of vague Indiana Jones mysticism kind of thing.
1: The weird quasi religious kind of stuff going on.
0: Yeah, so not terrible considering Jar Jar is the second league character.
1: And maybe a bit more welcome than usually would have been just because of everything preceding it.
0: Yeah. Like, it's, it's weird. It's it's quite... Um, it's almost refreshing like, at this point.
1: It, it's the, the
0: light episode for this, but even though we all still have, you know, people having their, their souls sucked out and witches and cults and all this crazy stuff going on. This is the fun episode. Oh, dear. And so for the final arc, this is Yoda's force journey arc (laughs) um actually no no it's it's weird like they kind of act like the sifo deus episode is part of yoda's arc even though i really don't see the connection
1: it's weird I'm, i'm forgetting okay so it to me it almost reminds me of the first episode in the 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 wrong jedi arc where you that episode feels the most distinct of any of them. And it almost like you can almost summarize everything that happens in that first episode just in an opening narration.
0: But even but even the plot of that is the exciting incident for that entire arc. Like without that without the plot of that, there is no there's nothing in that arc happens.
1: To me, it, it almost feels like I guess the connection that might exist there would be that it it's the first time, I maybe mean, not the first time we've we've seen Yoda really kind of struggle with things they've done before, but it feels more centered on him. And you know, we end mm-hmm. with with him saying like, "Yeah, we've got to we got to co- cover this up." That there's starting to really be doubt placed on him, and he's struggling even within himself, and that kind of carries into where we find him in the next episode
0: yeah it's just that the the arcs usually are one story like this is like it's one story with yoda then a completely different story with yoda kind of i guess loosely connected by the thematics uh thematic uh, center of the jedi are kind of questioning themselves so um going back to this one this one we have uh the jedi receive a distress signal from the ship of sifo deus remember that guy that was for some reason in uh mentioned in Attack of the Clones? Yeah, he's back. Or not really. So they they go in and this opening it, it really I really felt like they're about to find like Captain America's uh, ship <laughs> in the Arctic That's- or more maybe, maybe a um one of the uh the um, the Freemasons' uh ships with a bunch of treasure on it or something.
1: Yeah, I really love the visual style here. Uh like the close up in the sand and these giant like tires wheeling by. It almost felt like like something Ridley Scott shot where uh, you've got all of like just these people walking by this huge machinery in a, in this desert area. Uh, But yeah, I I love just the tone from the very outset. Um, And I I too got that Captain America vibe as well. But I'm a big fan for like, for openings like this. And even, even though like the actual, what's happening on screen is not similar at all. It kind of reminds me of, of the first episode of season 5 with uh Maul and and Savage where there's very little dialogue and you're kind of setting up this intrigue with just the sense of tone and atmosphere um, and you know you find the old deserted ship and you've got like the odd comment here and there but you you see the lightsaber and it's it's really building up a lot of really cool intrigue just with like the visual storytelling
0: so what we can hear is pretty much it I feel like the the storytellers and maybe even George Lucas himself realized that the all all the Sifo-Dyas stuff in Technical clones is kind of confusing, so it really feels like this is Just here to like to to say, all uh, right, you know all that stuff that you were wondering what it meant. This is what it means. Um. So we have the Jedi basically because the Jedi are like, all right, this distress signal came from Sifo-Dyas's ship. We found it. And then we kind of go into this whole thing of where they, they talk about what happened to sifo how he had been on Felucia, uh, settling a tribal dispute, and he was killed and buried there along with Silum, who was one of the Chancellors, uh, Chancellor Valorum's aides. So what I don't understand is they know what happened to him. Why are they going on this whole thing? Like we, they, they know he died. They know he was bur- his body was burned. So like what's the mystery? I I, don't, I I never understood what like why what is the driving mystery that sent that forces them to send Anakin and Obi-Wan on this huge investigation to find out what happened to Sepedius when they tell us what happened to Sepedius.
1: Well, I think they thought that they knew what happened to him and they thought that you know the circumstances surrounding his death they had no reason to be suspicious of um but finding like his his ship with his lightsaber kind of opens that back up and his death all of a sudden has a lot more mystery around it because beforehand, you know, you had no reason to really question why like his death. And, you know, I mean, he just died on the job, but now knowing like what he did beforehand, maybe there's more to why he died than we initially thought, especially considering as soon as we try to access that, we see the files are closed. You know, I think, I think that's, I mean, that, that's a fairly big red flag, like, okay, we, we thought we knew it was up, but now, you know, we, here's his ship with his old lightsaber, the files surrounding his death are, you know, are secrets, and we never, we never knew that before, because we never really knew that we had any reason to be suspicious about the circumstances of his death, and I, I think they have more reason now to be like, okay, well, maybe we really do need to figure out. It's
0: still a 10-year-old death, and you're in the middle of a galactic war
1: but but that's the thing they're in a mi- the middle of a galactic war using soldiers that he mysteriously ordered without their knowledge i i feel like the fact that they're in the middle like the nature of this war is what makes his death all the more pressing to learn about you know how was it was it this war that we're in right now that he actually ordered these for um yeah his I think the circumstances surrounding his death are more relevant because of, of the war right now.
0: Hmm. Okay, and problem number two, why the heck did the tribes people lie about killing him and burning his body? I don't know. <laughs> like, we have this whole elaborate story, like this perfect story that makes total sense of what happened to this guy that requires, you know, like dozens of people to cooperate. And they all just do it I mean, I guess we could assume they were bribed by uh, by, Tyrannus, but it's never established. It's just we're told we talked to the tribesmen and this is what they told us. And then it's completely forgotten because we find out something else, something else entirely happened. And it's like, okay.
1: I already feel like I need to rewatch it again.
0: I, I, I feel like that whenever I hear something about sifo It It's just kind of like, nothing, nothing about this character <laughs> makes any sense to me. So we f- somehow... Find a, I forget we find a connection to the Pikes, so they go to the Pikes and, which is this is a cool thing I, I like that Solo brought the Pikes back into the the main the live action films, um because a really cool design
1: yeah super um cool so design. they go
0: there and we find out with a, some persuasion that they were hired by Tyrannus to shoot down Sifydeus and Sifydeus was killed in the crash, but Silman. Who was the Valorum's Chancellor of Valorum's aide ten years ago, was captured and kept alive in prison, I guess as kind of insurance to make sure Tyrannus never um betrayed them. Yeah, so we find Silman and he's in prison. He's this kind of crazy old man, and I really like the animation on him. Just when I mean, he's he's moves he moves in this really weird, uh very very golem like way.
1: Yeah, the way he kind of climbs up on that rock.
0: Yeah, but, but like, also this, like, Gollum and a puppy.
1: <laughs> that that just, moment are you, when he kind of tilts he his, head his head over head. as he talks. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. so he's this really cr- crazy... very sad, but uh, the guy's been in prison for ten years, and he's completely crazy, and he's got these slugs crawling all, all over him, and they're his friends, and... Just
1: waiting for him, to be like, to them, like to us. Just the drop of a hat.
0: Yeah, and so then... Right as he's about being free after being imprisoned by himself for ten years, he's choked to death by by Dooku. Like this is the that's probably the darkest thing that happens in this entire series, and they kind of just breeze by it.
1: But that image of Dooku just behind them is is really striking. Yeah, he's
0: voiced by Brian George, who have voiced Kiidi Mundi and King Katunko, and uh, he he has a very distinct uh, and cool um, voice. All right, but this leads me to another huge problem with this episode is. So Dooku is sent by Sidious to kill Silman, to keep Silman from telling them who hired or who told who convinced Saifadius to order the clones. Am I right so far? I
1: think so. Although I just need to I need to make a list of all of your complaints and then rewatch it with them in mind.
0: So he goes. So he goes to kill Silman, so Silman won't tell the Jedi that it was. Tyrannus Dooku who convinced Typhodius to order the clones. So so he goes there and he kills him. And then what, what does he do? He monologues and tells him tells the Jedi that it was Count Dooku who convinced Typhodius to order the clones. Am I missing something here? It's he goes there to stop the information from getting out and then willingly gives the Anakin and Obi-Wan all the information. What the
1: heck? Yeah, I need to rewatch it.
0: <laughs> I don't think Rurashi's gonna fix that
1: uh, don't worry about it <sighs> so yeah
0: that, that that's revealed we're, we, there's a crazy fight and uh, Duke could kill some pikes um, and escapes and the Jedi are like okay so we're fighting with an entire army that was provided for us by the enemy hmm should we do something about it nope let's keep going <laughs> it's yeah, the ch the not ch- deserve what they had coming.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, like okay, so I'm gonna rewatch it to see if any of any <laughs> if there's any sort of explanation to any of your uh, problems. But yeah, I mean this ending, the fact that again, you know, in Attack Attacking the Clones, should we inform the uh should we inform the Senate that our ability to use the force is diminished? No, we don't wanna look weak. Hey, should we tell everyone that the clone army we're using came from the enemy? No, people would think that you know we're too na- we're like we're naive and stupid. Yeah, there's
0: no way that that clone that malfunctioned and shot a Jedi was part of a plot. Nah, that, that's too far-fetched.
1: That yeah, at, at this point they really have orchestrated their own defeat.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I like I really love that Lucas made the Jedi a corrupt organization that brought about their own defeat. This seems to be kind of laying it on pretty thick. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's kind of starting to push credulity uh, with their stupidity at this point. I think. I know they were trying to solve the mystery of Sifo and who he was and why he created the Clone Army. And they do. We we get the answers to all those questions, but it's also done in this incredibly convoluted way that also adds another dozen questions as well. It doesn't. It doesn't help a lot.
1: So I, I think it helps with the Sifo Dyas story. Right? I think most of the problems here are are kind of self-contained within this investigation. But as far as like the timeline and the purpose of, of everything with Cypher d is, it, I, I think it, it mostly makes sense now where, you know, this happened at a time where Dooku would have presumably still been a, a member, like a, a, a Jedi. I, I think he
0: had already left and gone back to his uh, count ship at this point. He hadn't, he hadn't revealed himself as a Sith yet, but he had, he had returned to being the count of whatever planet he was from.
1: Okay, and so somehow, I I think we're we're meant to believe that uh, so Cyphodius, you know, had had visions of an impending war, and which which to me is kind of cool. Like it's it's a self fulfilling prophecy where he sees a war happening, so he he creates the army that made that war possible. Um. Kind of, It's almost like this motif we see again and again where uh, Yoda says in Revenge of the Sith, you know, perhaps a prophecy misread could have been. Uh, and so he's just, again, you know, just, it's constantly recurring in Star Wars where we visions that we're seeing, we're taking the wrong thing from it. And so he wants to build this army and the Jedi don't give him the go-ahead. And I guess that the count cuz you know they were told that there were two jedi or were they told that there were two jedi there right that's why i thought that count Dooku was still a jedi cuz i thought that there's somewhere in this arc where they say no it wasn't just saphadeus there was another jedi with him and i thought that that would have been Dooku who made oh, it Oh you told
0: where the guy said they 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 want to be saphadeus like with silman says that line yeah Someone, someone who wanted to be Cypher Yeah. Which I have no idea what that means.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure what he means by wanting to be Cypher <laughs> But I think we're... I, that's why I thought that this would have taken place while Dooku would have still been a Jedi. Because it like those would have been the two Jedi that they had seen. Um, and Dooku's kind of like the only one who... who believes in Cypher and and what he's doing. But in reality, while he's a Jedi... I think at this point he's already turned and he's kind of he's acting under orders. Um and so once the create like once they uh kind of give the Kaminoans the go ahead with the clones, he orchestrates Cyphodius' death and then resumes operation under like the the pseudonym of of Tyrannus.
0: Hmm. Okay. <laughs> stuff ha stuff happened. Yeah. Uh, so the rest of this arc is Yoda's, um, uh, trials, I guess. So the first episode's voice is by Danny Keller. And so Yoda is meditating and then he gets a poltergeist and surprise the poltergeist is Qui-Gon Jinn. And so y- Yoda called to him and I forget what specifically Yoda said at that time, but he, I think he just heard his voice. And <laughs> so that, uh, They're in the council and Yoda's obviously thinking about what happened and he misses a line from someone and then Maze is like completely panicked. Like, oh no, Yoda's going crazy. What do we do? (laughs) It's like, maybe he was thinking, I don't know, there's a big war going on, but no, he's Yoda's crazy. We got to go have a prayer meeting over him.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, at this point though, if Yoda had never even like broken at all and for the first time I was like, oh, uh, he would like being asked by Yoder to repeat yourself. Maybe, like, n- he if he'd never done that over like 900 years, I guess they got reason for pause.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know if this is an intentional reference. I mean, you know, you and I both grew up in church, and the way the Jedi Council comes around to him and laying hands on him,
1: <laughs> the laying of hands.
0: It's, it's, a, it's a really popular po- pose. Uh, the way Christians come together when they're praying for someone, you know, they all come together, and lay hands on him. Like if they're you know if they're sick or sending him off on a mission trip, and that it, it I this has to be an intentional reference to that I. I, I don't know, it, it, but it's it is really funny. Kinda.
1: Visually, it looks like it, yeah.
0: So then, um, they, they they suspect that Yoda has been attacked by the dark side. Like all this time, all of this is happening because Yoda simply saying. Yeah, I'm a little perplexed. <laughs> so, Like, oh, no, Yoda's going crazy. Yoda's being attacked by the dark side. We got to keep him in isolation and locked up. And Well,
1: I think it goes beyond that. <laughs> He's also saying, like, hey, I'm also hearing voices.
0: Is that all that rare? Like, was Le- Luke calling to Leia literally the first time anyone ever called to somebody with a force?
1: Uh, well, it was – he was also saying it was with uh, – oh, wait, no, that was after the thing – I think it's, it's mainly because of the big deal that Yoda was making about it. You know, where it's like, hey, guys, I'm hearing voices. And it's a big deal. And we all come together and we all try to hear it. And he's like, oh, well, I'm not hearing voices anymore. But he's still convinced that he heard it. Like, I, th- I think they have... Off to re- detention with you. Well, it wasn't so much detention. Because it was, it was... Yoda was also... Under-armed wanting to
0: guard. His- and if you try to leave, we'll, well come running after you with lightsabers. But y- Yoda
1: was wanting to to do the surgery thing as well, or not the surgery, but like the,
0: the, the sensory deprivation tank.
1: Yeah. He was wanting to go there as well. Cause he was told, you know, if, if you are hearing the, the doctor says, you know, if, if you're hearing these voices for real, this will allow you to kind of get there. Um, and it's just like, I guess it was just, you know, standard medical procedure to hold them there afterwards. Cause it's essentially, you know, cutting off all the oxygen and, Bringing him that close to death without truly killing him,
0: which is a really crazy but cool concept yeah they have this meditation the sensory depri- deprivation uh, meditation chamber um although seems a little dangerous <laughs> they almost kill Yoda like he was like you almost like, oh my gosh, I thought we lost you like you you almost murdered Yoda,
1: <laughs> but yeah th- th- to me it never felt like. Yoda's losing it, let's keep him over here, like the put him in detention kind of thing. It was, if Yoda's telling us, that if if Yoda's right, then we should get to the bottom of this, and doing this will, will get us there, and whether he wins or not, it's just kind of standard hospital procedure to to keep a patient in there after you nearly kill them.
0: Does Yoda tell them about what he heard? Because when he was in his deprivation t- chamber...
1: He doesn't tell them who it was, but he says, old friends, have I... Been speaking
0: mm. with, and it's interesting that the Jedi at this point are very convinced that there is nothing beyond the grave. As soon as you die, you are your your spirit, whatever your life essence, becomes a part of the living force, and you lose all, any and all individuality. That you're just part of the the ether, and so the the very notion that he spoke to anyone who is now dead is like completely preposterous to them.
1: Well, I I think it's also you know over the course of the prequels, and then we see more in The Last Jedi with the ancient texts, you know, there's probably just huge amounts of of Jedi history. And I, I guess whenever, you know, you've got just millennia of these constants, whenever someone's like, hey, what if we don't go there sometimes and we can actually communicate? Like, you're saying something that either contradicts or has never even been heard of over the course of, like, Thousands and thousands and thousands of years of, you know, Jedi history and texts. So, and mm-hmm. I, I would, I could understand why someone who would be like, who's a master on the, on the Jedi Council would be like, we've never, all right, we've never heard of that. And we would have by this point. Like if, if it's just standard Jedi teaching, if it's kind of a religion and, you know, part of that religion is you die and become one with a force. And Allison saying, well, what if you don't completely?
0: Yeah. So Yoda, decide, Yoda decides to go to Dagobah, but he's under guard, so he recruits Anakin. He's like, "Yo, I uh, just obey the council. Your expertise is." <laughs> and I, I really love just how goofy and mischievous he is, um, and you know, he's he's really playful with Anakin, and they go and Anakin lets him escape, and he's like, "Hey, for once, this wasn't my, none of this was my idea."
1: Yoda's kind of adorable during these episodes, it's like especially when he's like picking up his cane and he's just kind of smiles like. And he says that line, you know, it's like you know, just our the council, like your expertise says. And he's he's walking away, just with that smile and that like very playful with him. And it's 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 fun to see like a more kind of sane. Not that he's insane in *Empire Strikes Back*, but it's fun to see like close to that Nein, level of just. I would help you not. Yeah, goofiness and childlike nature from Yoda here. Uh, it's because we know where he's gonna end up one other um cool thing at the end of uh the mortis arc it, it almost left you wondering if they truly remembered everything that happened and this seems to confirm like yeah, they they remember other than you know anakin being shown
0: yeah they remembered it because remember uh uh, uh uh yeah it's like yeah we w- you wouldn't believe it if we told you what happened
1: that's right that's right yeah and so here, you know, apparently it's just something that everybody knows they they went through because even Yoda's, you know, Yoda's asking him, you know, you 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 communed with uh, Qui Gon, and it seems like Anakin kind of confirms. Uh, I forgot this line, but it seems like he kind of confirms your theory where it's like, yeah, I spoke to him, but I'm pretty sure we have reason to doubt that, and I don't think we're meant to believe that even. Actually, I, I think we're given all the. Re- I think this episode gives us even more reason to not think that that was actually Qui-Gon and to pretty much be convinced that it was, it was the sun because Qui-Gon has yet to really master the ability of, of appearing physically. He's just kind of those lights.
0: And he probably would have remembered and told Yoda, oh yeah, I spoke to Anakin and told him he was a chosen one. And also there's this <laughs> cra- all this other crazy stuff going down.
1: <laughs> By the way.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, so that he goes to Dagobah and, uh, and Qui-Gon appears to him as Pixie Dust. And they and they he basically tells them that he's somehow discovered a way to maintain his individuality uh, after dying, because um, they, they go through a whole long thing of. So the cosmic force, it's really weird, like the the living force is generated by living beings, and then that feeds. The cosmic force, which is the, I guess, the overarching thing, which when they talk about with the will of the force and how the force is kind of binding the universe together, I think that's like the cosmic force. But like the life itself also has a connection to the force through midichlorians. And yes, they mentioned midichlorians. Lucas is not done with them.
1: <laughs> I like that they mention it. To me, this seemed almost kind of like a cool marriage between the mysticism of Star Wars and the, the scientific aspect in the prequels.
0: I've never had a problem with medical range. all they are that they've ever been is just a middleman. Like either the force speaks directly to us or it speaks directly to the medical orange and the medical orange tell us. Like it doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah, that that's been my position too, where it's and I think I've even called them the middleman, where it's like I either way there's some sort of there's something mystical about it. I mean, either you're moving the object directly or, or you're physically manipulating little bugs that are then moving them. Like <laughs> either way it's you know. Things are moving because of your will. But here saying like the the cosmic force operates to the living force by way of these midi-chlorians. Like it, it felt like you're still having this very spiritual mysticism, mystical aspect to the force that's like conveyed through the scientific explanation of the midi-chlorians. And it, to me, it felt like something that should please everybody, I guess. Dude, these are Star Wars fans. How naive are you? That's true. No one is
0: pleased, um yes, yeah, so they so what I'm guessing it means that the force is dependent on life, like the living force is generated by by living beings, and that in turn feeds the cosmic force so i i guess the i guess it's, it's, it is it is in its essence is dependent upon life or maybe it just has life, life just makes it stronger uh hmm. we're not giving enough information, but there's a, a this one probably get, gets the deepest into the, the nature of the force that we ever see in, on, on uh, cinematically or, or on film or TV. Yeah. Then Yoda goes into the, uh, the cave of the dark side uh, that he later sends uh that he sends Luke into in empire strikes back. He sees the Jedi fighting clones. And then he sees Sidious killing the, the, the four Jedi that go to arrest him. And that is one really cool thing is where he sees uh shock T dying like she does in a deleted scene from revenge of the sith
1: have you seen that one i have yeah i noticed that i was like that's this really cool that i guess you know we can we can say that scene's canon now
0: yeah so he basically sees the fall of the jedi and then qui-gon following the jedi way tells him absolutely nothing helpful and tells and says instead you have to go to this other place and so yoda then goes to a nebula and uh and says, uh, "Jesus, take the wheel, and let's the force guide him in." <laughs> and
1: one thing that's kind of cool, and this is, you know, not really dealing with what it's about, but you notice how how much of uh, or how much what he's flying in looks like a tie fighter.
0: I I never made that connection, but it's 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 like the Jedi fighter, except tiny and cute and adorable, like uh, like Yoda.
1: Yeah, the 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 actual cockpit though is like that perfect circle with that center uh the center window, and to me it. It's kind of also like the um, the ships that that fly around in Coruscant that uh, they chased Ahsoka and then Anakin was in whenever he was looking for Fives. That like you kind of got these little bitty wings all over the side, and the mm. material made of the or for the wings is the exact same as for the TIE fighters. So I just thought it's really cool that we're kind of seeing that transition into into what the Empire uses in the original trilogy.
0: Interesting. So he goes to this, basically the floating mountains of Pandora, and he meets these, this, these five kind of siren ladies, uh, with these weird, creepy Kabuki masks, and there's there's five of them, and there's serenity, anger, confusion, joy, and sadness, um, and they're like, we are we are one and one is all, and just, (laughs) and, and like I never I never could figure out what they were from the show, but reading mater- reading other material later on, what I, I found out is that they are actually originally one person who came to this place and is kind of caught in the middle of death essentially. they, they like they're not quite forced like, they're basically caught in an eternal state of I guess being forced ghosts. And over the years, they've separated themselves into different aspects of personality. And none of this is important, but it's just a lot of weird stuff that happens. You have any thoughts on the weird Kabuki mask lady?
1: Well, I'm not. I'm still not 100 percent sold on it. To me, the the genre of weird this is is almost just a different <laughs> genre of weird that that Star Wars does. The Last Jedi's is like weird Force cave has kind of had me come more to terms with all of the weird trippy stuff that happens in this series. Uh, but like I said, this feels a little bit different. The one thing that like, I kind of got a little bit more okay with it, and with the re- revelation, like whenever he asks to take off the mask, and it, to me, that, that first reveal is really creepy, but then it just kind of falls down and they're like, I I'm pretty much am one with the Force right now, and I'm more okay with the weird Kabuki mask and floating robes if the explanation is that is just this arbitrary design that this person who has made this, this kind of connection with the force in order to like, just be there physically and be something to be looked at so that they can actually see what they're talking to. Like it's just this thing that they decided to look like. So they have something to talk to, but in reality they're just kind of this disembodied voice of the force. That's kind of okay to me. Mm.
0: I guess we, I guess so. Qui Gon, at one point or another, found his way there, and that—that's this is where he he basically did what Yoda does in this episode, and learned to, and learned about keeping your identity in the, in the Force. So Yoda is told he has to go through these trials, I guess, you know, to purify his soul or whatever, so then he he can then learn the secrets. The first one is facing his evil, his basically, I guess, his innate greed and whatever evil exists within Yoda. Um, and it takes the form of this kind of this, basically an a evil shadow Yoda who, who also moves and talks like Gollum. And what was really interesting, like when the like, guy first appears, Yoda tries to deny that he exists. Like, I recognize you not. And they fight and basically they punch around for a while and Yoda loses. And then as the, the evil side decides to is, is about to you know defeat him he then recognizes that yes you are me you are the evil and you know, that possibility for evil that is inside of me but i ha- i reject you and it's like it's like at first he he tries to he tries to claim that that evil doesn't exist that he's actually he's defeated this evil but it's only when he truly recognizes his own potential for evil that he's able to, is uh, destroy it and cons and and and, and defeat it uh, by rejecting it rather than denying its existence. He has to consciously accept it and then reject it, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. So I I actually really really like that scene and everything Yoda takes away from it, and it kind of to me I don't I don't think it's like this, it was this intentional thing on the Last Jedi's part. But, it kind of makes me appreciate what Luke goes through in The Last Jedi more, because this seems to, like, this seems to say that the Jedi do not place any emphasis on teaching this, like, not even emphasis, like, they don't even think it's, it's something that you have to teach. They don't talk about the potential, really, for us to fall. I mean, they kind of do with, you know, with Krell and Dooku. But here with with Yoda thinking that he's he's defeated it, and it's not something that even he even has to learn about. This is something that he learns outside of of Jedi teaching, and so Luke in the Last Jedi was never really taught that, and so he kind of succumbs to this, you know, to the like buying into his own legend and buying into like the the hype around him, and not really acknowledging um the potential for evil and not only himself but just in anyone and in, in the the jedi order itself i just thought it was kind of a cool connection to, to see that that's not something taught in the order and that might be why something like what happened to luke could happen to luke
0: yes yeah, so the arrogance is not seeing not not accepting their own evil natures or the possibility of an evil nature but also it was interesting that the jedi are never taught how to accept defeat like like he had he had no idea once when he failed Well, we'll get into all this later but when he failed he had no idea how to handle that and it's similar with the jedi order they're so used to being on top they not only they, they can they, they not accept the 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 possibility of innate you know innate corruption they also just simply don't know how to deal with defeat even more arrogance on the part of the Jedi. I love it. Um, so the, the next challenge uh, is he comes, he sees this slaughter in the Jedi Temple, and we see the human jerk boy and Katuni, K- not Katuni, uh, Ganodi, the Rhodian Ro- the Ro- the, the girl from the gathering, and we hear the Battle of Heroes theme in the background, and he finds uh, all, all the Jedi lying dead, and Ahsoka's there. Um, then Katuni comes, and essentially, offers him a fake but idyllic vision of of what you know what could be and we see Ahsoka and Qui-Gon and Duka, Dooku and Adigalia Tiplar even like the Nautilin kid that Savage killed back like on his, his first mission. They're all they're all kind of there and it's like as if I guess with this the thing is he has to be so committed to the truth that he won't except a lie, even if it's going to give him everything he, re- he truly wants.
1: There's just a really deep sadness to that scene, to me. Where it's like, seeing that glimpse... Like, I mean, obviously as viewers, we need conflict because we need the story. But a part of me just wishes that like, we could just make that alternate reality where Count Dooku is just telling fun stories by the fire of him and Yoda. What time was the Tyrant attack? Yeah, like, it just... You see why it's so tempting for Yoda because it is so perfect. You have every like nobody's dead. Everybody who's betrayed him is his friend again. Like, and and just completely pulling out this like any sound that's left right there. Just it feels off. Like there's just something not quite right. And like the the kind of bloom effect on everything. It's I don't know. It's really sad to me, but well done.
0: Yeah. So that he he um he refuses that, and then. They say. Then they tell him he has to go to Malachor, uh, to continue his, his training. Um. Then he goes there, and we have this really like super creepy architecture, and but uh, yeah. So these these crazy slugs come and and they and there's like this vision where all the Sith are like swirling around, and they look like the Death Eaters from Harry Potter. Um, one interesting thing I found is that they, the the Sith don't believe in any kind of life after death and so i really actually like learning that really their 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 obsession and like constant drive for temporal power really makes sense when you realize they they, they, not only do they not believe in any kind of morality they don't believe there's there's anything outside of life so everything that like everything they can they can be and have to have has to come within this life so it's it's all about you're trying to Find as much power as possible, uh, you know, before you die. Or, as we find out, you know, from you know, the tragedy of Doth Plages the Wise, that they—they're exactly. also their ultimate goal is eternal life.
1: Yeah, as I was about to say, it, it makes it makes that story all the more poignant. Where it's like, yeah, this this is why they sought this because this is all we have. You know, from from their point of view, morality is only like a shackle and. And to learn that there is no afterlife, you're you're freed from those shackles, and the only thing that makes sense to do is to consolidate power.
0: Yeah, and then the the, the slugs then they form into Darth Bane, um, who comes and taunts Yoda, but then Yoda says you're dead, and then he's sucked back into his tomb.
1: Also, a little fun fact: Darth Bane is voiced by Mark Hamill.
0: Yeah, but they modulate his voice so much it really doesn't matter. Like anyone could have voiced him, unfortunately. Kinda I kinda of wish they let Hamill do more with that.
1: I wish he got more to do with it, but I don't like if especially if you've seen like watch Batman in the animated series or play the games, you hear you hear some joker in that. <laughs> like I I feel like I can. There, there's some moments, especially with his laugh. Where I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's Darth
0: him. Joker. That's that's, that's some uh, fan art that needs to be made. Oh yeah. So then there's this room that's so intense with the dark side that the, the five Kabuki Siren ladies have no control over it.
1: And not only that, but just by being there, you're uh, like giving a direct conduit to any dark force users around. Which is
0: cool. That we then flash to Dooku, who is n- basically notified that Yoda is so entrenched in the dark side now, because whatever connection that, you know, he was he was uh, Yoda's Padawan, so whatever connection they had is now is like an eternal kind of connection in the Force, and he senses that 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 uh, Yoda is vulnerable and close to the dark side, and uh, then we then he goes to Sidious, and then they concoct this plan to, ch- I guess, what they're planning to kill him or turn. Like well, I'm not entirely sure what they wanted to do, but they, they, they wanted to use this opportunity to, to 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 somehow defeat Yoda.
1: It seemed like, I want to say the line was like, he he's resisted us or something like that. So it didn't so much feel like they were trying to kill him, but I, I felt like there's a lot of symbolism going on with him. Like with Anakin literally dangling and hit city is saying, you know, you have to let him fall. Um, you have to let him go. It it seemed like they were trying to get him to abandon his Jedi principles and turn to the dark side that way, I guess, or just abandon pursue, the order together.
0: Pursue victory at the price of life. Yeah, which is what they were doing, which is why they fell.
1: <laughs> I was about to say we we just saw season five.
0: So they come and they attack him within this Force vision, and there's you know lightsaber fights, and Dooku and um, Yoda are battling it out with with Anakin there as well. You know, fighting on these catwalks and then everything starts collapsing and it's very Inception-esque. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think w- when he chooses to save Anakin, he comes out of it. Then he says the line, there's another Skywalker, which I have no idea what that means in this context.
1: Okay, so what I was thinking, trying to make that make sense, was that everyone was so concerned with Anakin. He's the chosen one. He's going to be the one to bring balance to the Force. It seemed almost like Yoda was saying, "Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe it's this other Skywalker. Mm. You know, like we've we've rested all of our hopes onto this one guy. But what if it's not him?
0: And then if it's not him, it's his sister.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'll, I'll get their times the charm.
0: Yeah. I okay. Um. So yeah. Then we have a really interesting thing. He goes, he returns to the council and tells them all he found out. And he, then he, talks about basically that the Jedi have lost their way and their doom. He says, you know, uh, for inviting battles, the bloodshed already lost. We have, and he's pretty much accepted the failure of the Jedi at this point, but he says, he talks about, you know, but there is hope, the hope for a, a final victory for all time, which I think, I think in context of what we've seen is, is, what he's saying is, is, the hope of a life after death, you know, transcending death as Jedi, rather than. Like it seems like he's pretty much given up hope that the Jedi will win this war. That they've they've corrupted themselves far too much, but that now their hope is in death. Is that what you took it?
1: Uh, so that may have been what it actually is. I took it more in this most recent watching, if especially with if that's actually what he means by "there's another Skywalker." I took it more as if he's kind of accepted defeat in the Clone Wars that doesn't mean that it's over you know there that perhaps this other Skywalker will come and make right where we failed because he said a, a victory for all time to me feels beyond the scope of just the Jedi alone who will achieve life after death because you know you have Ahsoka being like am I a Jedi Will I be able to like, you know, live forever? So it, it seems like this whole idea of living forever is, is specific to not even just Jedi, but like specific Jedi who are able to pass these. So his his like great hope and optimism to me felt more of like the Clone Wars suck, and we may have lost it, but that's not the end. But
0: the the the, the, the being that became the the five the five priestesses wasn't a Jedi. I think he's realizing that you, the Jedi—it's not—it's not about saving the Jedi. Like the four, I guess it you know, is is pretty much what 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 Luke says in uh in the Last Jedi. You know, to think if the Jedi die, the Force dies is, is vanity. It's this is so much bigger. the possibility of life after death is something that the Jedi didn't even believe existed. He's discovered the greatest discovery in the history of of life. It's almost like he's found something that is beyond the Jedi. Like the Jedi have failed. You know, we have already lost. We were we're doomed. We have fallen so deep into Steus's plan, we're 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 not gonna save ourselves. But there is this this, this deeper, even more more true connections of the force available that we if we could attain that, that would be the final victory. Wow, I'm blowing my own mind. <laughs>
1: That okay, so that might be more of what it is, especially considering it seems as if, you know, with the I think he even says to the to Darth Bane, you're like, you cannot be alive. That's not a part of the Sith teaching, you know. Um, and so that would be a final victory because it would only really be like light side, or at least you're not even just you. You know, I'm a, you know, gray Jedi potential maybe. Oh yeah, um, but definitely no like dark side force users there, and so it'd be like it—it's almost like heaven, you know. We we've got this afterlife where where there won't, will no longer just be this evil, like manipulation of the force anymore.
0: Yeah, that's crazy, be, man. I, I I I I wonder if 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 uh, Johnson had seen the Clone Wars, because that that's, that 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 Luke's lines there make so much sense in context with with this episode and with with uh with his this final speech from yoda oh okay <laughs> on that uh you bts do you want to say before we close out on the clone wars forever actually not forever because we have another bonus episode coming but for now
1: <laughs> uh yeah so you know i'm it's it's hard not to be bitter and jaded about the way everything went down and i think there's always going to be a a tinge of sadness when we talk about this this last season and, and what could have been and we'll probably sound like a bunch of grumpy old men on the <laughs> next episode when we talk about all these unproduced arcs. But like I said, this most recent watching, I'm far more comfortable and satisfied with this as a final season one because especially, you know, like I feel like I've I've walked away a lot more from even with just what you brought now, a lot more from this last arc and this last season in general. Than I did before, and you know closing the series out with Yoda's speech about achieving victory for all time, and you hear that beautiful rendition of Yoda's theme and the closing shot of the pedal it's I'm okay with this as a conclusion
0: yeah we we don't we don't we don't get that normal fanfare it's this very soft haunting theme instead,
1: yeah, and just that whole last speech it feels almost otherworldly, like like when do you know saying like we're waiting on your report and all we're left with is yeah the Clone Wars look at what it's cost maybe this isn't great but there's this other victory I almost feel like it would be weird to hear Yoda talk about like almost accepting defeat in the Clone Wars and about this greater victory and then going on three more seasons about the Clone Wars so i I think, in a way, it kind of makes sense to stop there, um yeah, and again, yeah. you know, just this this whole timeline of how how they they really are confined to to three years, and if your series feels like it's stretching out over like five years or longer, um, you're really having to try to truncate some of this thing, like how could all of this have fit here and and now, in my mind, it's just like easy math, it's like every two seasons is a year.
0: So. I wonder if they rewrote this ending knowing that it was literally the ending. It wouldn't surprise me. I it w- Because it, it it is there's so much finality in it.
1: Yeah, that's, I, I think the exact same. Because, you know, whenever Disney made the announcement, they're like, we're finishing what was going on. So I think they were given the last of their resources to, like, you know, they weren't just putting the final touches on what was already made. It was still in progress. And they're like, all right, we'll finish this. And it wouldn't surprise me if yeah they, were, they tinkered it to, to feel like more of a conclusion. And just I, I think that, you know, with the short notice they were given, I, I think they really did an admir- admirable job at closing this out.
0: Which makes sense of doing that very simple outside shot with just a leaf. If that was the ending, rather than having to create a whole sequence with no money, they do something very simple and symbolic.
1: Yeah. And it's beautiful.
0: Okay. Um, I was planning to do the whole uh, legacy and, and, and uh, reception, but I think I'll, I'll, we ran a bit longer than I thought we would. We had more to say than I, I expected. So uh, um, we're going to do that for next episode. And so next episode is going to be a bonus episode where we will talk about uh, the, all the plans they had for the, for the canceled episodes. There's a whole bunch of uh, material that I, uh, to run through because they had a lot of plans going so yeah, uh, next episode we're going to be coming back in and just discussing all the crazy stuff uh, going on there that was, was basically known as the uh, Clone Wars Legacy canon. And, and then I'll I'll dive into the whole reception and legacy of the Clone Wars with the fan base and all that uh, next episode instead. Yeah.
1: And I won't really be able to bring anything to it, but I think you, you since you've read, you know, some of the book adaptations of what was to be ARCs, I think you'll, you'll be able to bring a lot of relevant discussion with that and give us an idea of... Of, of where we might have gone
0: and it was really fascinating and and very frustrating seeing all the uh, story ideas they had for it it was just really interesting so um, yeah that's what, that'll be next episode so again guys I'd like to ask you if you enjoy the show to so please take a moment to go and rate and review us on iTunes and if you want to follow us you can like us on Facebook where there's Franchise Fatigue Podcast and if you want to follow us on Twitter you can go to Franchised Pod and if you want to find our other episodes you can go to com. and where can people follow you James?
1: Uh, so I am on Letterboxd, uh, there as JL Hamry, it's J-L-H-A-M-R-I, um, I'm trying, I'm about to start really forcing myself to sit down now that I have a bit more free time to, to write more reviews and in anticipation of Mission Impossible Fallout, I'm, I'm going through that series and I'm going to hopefully maybe even tomorrow or Wednesday, um, try to start getting reviews out for the ones I've seen, um. Really excited to! I've never actually seen one of these in the theater, so. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that, uh, and so Article Asylum, as I mentioned on the last episode, is back up and we're we're contributing again. So you can find everything we've written before as well as some new content we'll be pushing out here uh, at Article Asylum dot WordPress dot com.
0: And uh, I'm also on Letterbox, and there's uh, Gabriel Graydon since you mentioned Mission Impossible, I'm also watching through the Mission Impossible series, and I have reviews up for uh, for the films and that. And also, I am on Twitter as Gabe A. Green. I will occasionally tweet. And so next week will be a bonus episode on all the canceled content. And if you want to prepare for that, at StarWars.com, there are available the story reels, which are basically kind of animatics, for eight episodes. There are two arcs. Uh, one is A Death on Utapau, and the other is the Bad Batch arc. And they're they're all they're available for you. Basically, the entire episode, just in very rough animation, but the the, the sound effects and the vo- the voice uh, acting is all there. These were the um, essentially the the the, the uh, animated version of storyboards that they would show to Lucas and Feloni to to get you know final approval for the episode before they t- they send it off to the main animation. So uh, I, I've already watched the entire Utapau arc. It's it's, it's 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 really solid. I mean, it's it's obviously very very rough, rudimentary animation, but it's still you get the story, you get all the fun character moments and all that so if you want to be prepared for that you can go watch those
1: i'm excited i've only seen i think one of one of the unproduced arcs there uh so i'm excited to see what could have been so until next week we will see you in the unproduced episodes the mission
0: the nightmares they're finally
1: over